The following program is being broadcast on the Amazing Women of Power, the world's leading positive programming network, powered by Raven International. This show contains motivational language and may not be suitable for negative listeners. And passing it along to you, it's Strong Rider on the radio. I had the blues, but I made it better, baby. And that's why I wrote this song. And now you can sing along. My mind's made up to make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's from Psalm 98. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into a joyous song and sing praises. And like I said in part one of this interview that I had with Gordon Jensen, this is not the gospel hour, but every once in a while, I like to make sure that everybody knows where my faith and encouragement comes from. And uh, you can't help but get into the spirit of going to church when you talk to this man who is a gospel singer, songwriter, composer, somebody who has had more than four decades of accomplishment in music primarily in the Christian genre, and I was very blessed to have him on my show. If you want to find out his credits, go on to his site. It is Gordon Jensen. Jensen is spelled J-E-N-S-E-N dot O-R-G. GordonJensen.org. And I'm taking a lot of time just trying to reintroduce, but you know what? Part one was fantastic. We learned about his life, his career, and he was even willing to give me some info on publishing and permissions on how to perform songs that he has written and that's where we left off in the interview. So here is part two of my conversation with Gordon Jensen. Yeah. There's a few uh, horror stories out there, but, but they're not going to be yeah. in churches for the most part. Well, yeah, I see. You know, make... Christian people want to get paid just like anybody else do. <laughs> well, only if, only if we're entitled to it. But, but you know what, Dean? I would a whole lot rather have churches doing this stuff than not doing it. Right. And uh, I had somebody call me a few months ago, and they were putting together a songbook. The church had a history of releasing a songbook and uh, say, let's say a hundred songs. Uh-huh. They had just done it for years. Well, the board got all upset and decided, hey, we need to go back and make sure this is all legal. So they had the secretary jumping through hoops for months on end trying to get permission for all these songs to, to do about a hundred books. And uh, I said, lady, look, just, just go ahead and use my song. Don't even worry about it. If you have any problems, you get in touch with me and I'll deal with the publisher for you. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, I, that's happened I, in my I, case. You know, asking somebody goes a, a long way, doesn't it? If you, yeah. if you happen to have access to talk to them. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. And a lot of those things are, are done on a very low scale. You know, just talking a few copies here and there. Dean, the average custom recording out there is a thousand units or less, hmm. usually a lot less. So it yeah. takes an awful lot of sales for it to mount it. Yeah, over time, I'm sure there's been lots and lots of that. So, oh yeah, back yeah. In, back when Redemption Girl and I was first released, 
uh, I remember three or four years into it, the guy who was running that publishing company said, well, hey, Gordon, we got over 300 licenses on that song. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, most of those are very small. It's the big ones that, you know, put bread and butter on your, on your table, but right. uh, most of them very small customers. 40. Now, today it's probably, uh, I, I don't even know how many are out there, but I would multiply it several times over in the ensuing years. But Well, that particular song, what year are we talking about that you uh, released that? That song was uh, 1969 and 70. Oh, okay, very early on. I was thinking maybe uh, it was close to when you had this, uh, said that you launched a solo ministry. I was wondering what... Uh... No, that, that was that was in 1979. Yeah, a little ten, uh, almost 10 years later then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, right. What happened was the group I had mentioned to you, the Orells that became Gordon Benson Sunrise, we, we disbanded the Sunrise group like 78, 79, and I got a record deal with uh, the Benson Company, with Impact Records did two albums for them, and then a guy named Neil Joseph produced those two albums. And he went to work for Word, so he brought me over there and signed me the bass label. We did two albums on Bass Spring, and then I did another album on uh, a label called Word Song. It's a writer uh, label that Word did. Oh, okay. And, You're saying the labels uh, Day Spring was part of Word? Yeah, day, the Day Spring record label was a Word Inc. Oh. label. Oh, okay. It was one of their labels. Yeah. All under that one. Yeah. Wow. So when you launch a solo ministry, what does that actually mean? Is it uh, music and, and speaking? Well, what it meant uh, in my case was I uh, I was able to uh, do a deal with the Benson Company. I had been writing for them for years. They were publishing my material for a number of years. So I did two albums with them. And then when Neil Joseph went to Word, uh, my contract was up with Benson. So I started writing for Word and recording for Word. That just means that with those labels, you know, you've got a, a powerful promotional tool, and uh, right. which helped me get out there and get a lot of publicity. And so I could say, folks and do concerts, mostly in churches. And I would go in and, you know, sing my songs. And you have to say something between your songs, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how the speaking thing develops. You know, I exhort people and encourage them and try to share some insights, you know, about, about the music and, Put a program together. That's what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah. I like to approach this stuff as this. You're, you're speaking to a you know a six year old. He can explain to me all this stuff, and then I I learn a lot better that way. So <laughs> forgive that. <laughs> I don't claim to be some kind of big intellectual on this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't either, Dean. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, I I try, I try to uh, protect my ignorance as much as I can. <laughs> I, I always have as well. <laughs> I, I know that no matter how much you know or how good you are, there's a, there's some kid going to pass you up. And uh, I've got a grandson who's 13, soon to be 14, and that guy is so brilliant with computers and that kind of technology. It makes my head. Oh, yeah. So when I run into problems, I go get Andrew, and he fixes it for me. You have to put your faith that the next generation is doing uh, everything the right way. <laughs> Cause... Yeah. Yeah, because we all think that our generation was better, but you know, there's so much. Uh, I was going down the road like we can learn from the youth, but you know, there's some things that they do quite well that uh, I would never be able to get that done back when I was yeah. young. Well, you know, uh, Jesus said, uh, "What a, a steward who's perfectly trained uh, brings out of his uh, treasury things both old and new." And I, I think you want, you don't ever want to be shut down to what's new, you know, but you don't want to dishonor what's old either. I think everything good has roots 
in the old, and it it has fresh expressions that make it new. And so, you know, I, I like a mixture. I was, mixture. Uh, uh, yeah, me too. I was curious, uh, you know, back at the beginning of us talking, I was uh, sort of classifying as what you do as uh, Christian music. Is that a accurate description, or how do you classify what you've uh, what you write? Well, I, I, I call it Christian music, but stylistically, it covers a wide swath. You know, yeah. there's different influences in it. Now, uh, there there is what they call Southern gospel music, and frankly, I'm I'm to the left of that quite a bit, but. I do participate sometimes in churches that are culturally Southern Gospel or, mm-hmm. or concerts that are Southern Gospel, but I'm not going to blow the people away with what I do because the diehards, they want their stuff, and I can't really deliver that to them the way they like it. You know? But I have uh, some country influences, some pop influences, and some of my stuff is real middle of the road, you know. You do have country influence on a few of your songs. I heard... Uh... And so did my friend. Uh, God makes the impossible probable. He heard yeah. the one. He heard your version of it, and we had a, not a disagreement. But he heard more of a bluegrass type of style. I heard it more like a you know sort of uh, classic electric country. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like jumping, really like something that you know, like Dwayne and the Oak Ridge Boys would have yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's really. Uh, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Well, he's always, I guess he was, uh, he's learning bluegrass right now. He's trying to learn how to do that, and <laughs> I guess he's got that on his mind. But uh, either way, it sounded really, uh, it was upbeat, and it sounds uh, it sounds really great. It's a, it's a fun song, and, and I sometimes, you know, open programs with it. When the best you can do isn't good enough When people all around you are giving up when the wisest wise men you can find say you won't make it back this time, it's time to call upon the Lord above. God makes the impossible probable. God makes what defies solution solvable. He makes what can't be done doable. Makes mountains movable. God makes the impossible probable. God makes the impossible probable. God makes what defies solution solvable. He makes what can't be done doable. Makes mountains movable. God makes the impossible probable. Speaking of when when we're talking about your grandson and and young people, you know, just like in secular music, uh, we favor the old days when there was quote-unquote good music. And... uh, (laughs) Is Back there, when we had good music. Yeah. <laughs> is there a similar feeling with, uh, you know, gospel, praise, Christian music, at least in stylistically? You know, are there are there the old people that <laughs> say that, uh, oh, it just wasn't like it was? Or is the message pretty consistent? Well, here's the, here's the thing, Dean. Uh, now, I, I know we can argue for the point that uh, music is a language unto itself uh, and all of that. But the thing that makes gospel or Christian music, Christian is, is the lyrical content of the song. As far as the musical delivery system, that may sound just like country music or jazz or pop or, you know, or whatever. But it's, it's, it's the lyrical content that makes Christian music. Yeah. I figured that that was probably a good, uh, a safe bet to say what you just did, because... I mean, this stuff's going back, you know, 15th century, we're still singing hymns in, in church that if they just changed it into a little bit more modern language, oh, it would be just well, as good. Hey, Dean, I've heard it. Maybe you have, too. Uh, I've 
in my travels, I've been in churches where they had a praise band that took an old song. Amazing Grace is a classic example. And they've, they've changed it up and made it sound like a very contemporary Christian song. Yeah, so you can do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's a, it's a great lyrical message. It's poetically, uh, you know, above reproach. <laughs> and and uh, sure, you can. I, you I, sort of, I, I sort of feel there's a division that, that there's the advantage for the Christian music uh, community that you have. You can always find a new way to say basically the same thing. You know, if you're joyful that, you know, uh, Jesus has come into my life and you want to write a song about that, that's been going right. on for a long time. Oh, sure. But, and, and, you know, there are some, there are some songs we hear that, that are so connected to what's happening now that a few years from now they won't work anymore, you know. Uh, and they're going to have to reinvent it again. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's sort of like in the world of, of dress and clothing. You can go with a, a more conservative wardrobe, and, and you may be able to wear it, you know, until it's worn out. Yeah. I'm but sure, if, I'm if sure you, you're wearing the same kind of clothes you wore 40 years ago, right? Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. But if you, uh, you know, if you if you go with the fads, you're, you're going to have to buy a new wardrobe before you know it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great analogy, by the way, uh, fashion and fads uh, compared to music. And I was just sort of drawing kind of an imaginary division between two camps, you know, the secular and the Christian music world, where it seems as if the uh, lyrical content, you know, the message is basically intact. Whereas you look at the secular or the pop music world, and it gets a little weird. It's mostly style. It, it's been that way for a long time, but it seems like the substance is imitating the style, where it gets kind of weird and uh, veers off of... Uh, uh, you know, the wholesome goodness that we kind of w grew up with. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we are, we are Christians. We're followers of Christ and, uh, we're not, we don't want to hide that, but we want to present it in ways that are palatable to people that may draw the folks in. But we need to do that without compromising the integrity of, of the thing and the message. Once we do that, it's done. You know, we're, we're finished. Well, Gordon. Shoot, I uh, I want to respect your time. You got time for maybe a couple more minutes of, of questions, and we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll hang uh, it up. I don't want to keep you on forever. You no, know? that's fine, Dean. Listen, I, I am not even looking at a clock. Oh, thank You're you. the man. <laughs> You're directing this thing. So when the time's up, you just let me know. I appreciate that. Okay, so Written in Red is a pretty famous song that you wrote. I was wondering if you could maybe give me a little story on that. How did you approach that, and uh, how do you recall writing this song? Well, uh, Dean, uh, growing up and... Uh, you know, my personal Christian experience and being in the church and so forth, uh, there, there are topics and subjects that are very foundational. Uh, things like the cross, the blood of Jesus. And, uh, I, I don't think we can ever, uh, put that in the background. I think we've always got to find a way to keep it up front and center. And, uh, so I've written songs about the cross, quite a number of them in the blood. A song called I Should Be Crucified was one of my, my very strong Line, but uh, written in red, I wrote that back in the 80s and uh, first recorded by a couple named Henry and Hazel Slaughter that worked at the Gaithers. And okay. uh, Henry had been the original piano player for the Imperials. And uh, I just saw Henry on Easter at a local church. He's 87 years old now, but he's still playing and going strong. But they recorded that thing, and uh, other people picked up on it and did covers. Rusty Goodman was one, Steve Fox was another, but then a lady named Janet Pasco recorded it in the early 90s, and then it took off. It was a huge success for her on the radio and in concerts with the Gaithers. And 
then a choral uh, arranger named Kent Kirkland got hold of it and took her version of it and choralized it. And every other church that has a choir did that song. And it was a great song for Easter and that sort of thing. So it, it just really, really took the song into another stratosphere. Wow. But that song, uh, that song, I could say, to be honest, and, and I hate it when people say to be honest, because that means, <laughs> that means the rest, rest of the time you have it. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but to tell you the way it is, um, I had heard a song when I was a boy out in Arizona. It was an old Irish sample song called A Crown of Orange. And there's a line in that he, that says, he wrote his love in crimson red. And that's really a beautiful word picture. And that stuck with me. I thought about it, thought about it. And that was really sort of a, that might have been the seed for that song that you read. Hmm. Anyhow. In letters of crimson, God wrote his love on a hillside so long ago. Where for you and for me, Jesus died, and love's greatest story was told. friend asked uh, a little bit about that you know when you're writing a song do you start with the subject of the song or from like a passage in the bible psalms or or is it just like you were talking about is it just by your uh, your memory of what you've witnessed earlier well i think it's all of the above and it, it, it's hard to say but you know an idea sort of crystallizes and condenses into some kind of substance and then you know that this is this is a theme this is a subject this is a song it'll go and then you you Well, uh, you talked about uh, sight reading and how you write by ear. That's how I've done it, and I still don't really look at a piece of sheet music and know really what I'm looking at. <laughs> but I'm always impressed by people who do that, and uh, one person that comes to mind is the pianist at my mom and dad's church. Uh, she is uh, classically trained. Uh, she never seems to make a, hit a false note, and she can just take a quick look at the sheet music and go right to it. I'm always impressed Boy. by that kind of stuff, you know. Well, don't you hate people like that? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I, uh, I guess it's like every, you know, you do, you don't see what all the practice that this woman had to go through. You know, you only see oh, the sure. end product, and that sort of that throws you off because you go, "Why can't I be that?" <laughs> well, a concert pianist to me is sort of like somebody who runs marathons. You know, it's an incredible amount of 
training and discipline uh-huh. and exertion and effort that goes into making that happen. So if I hear a coach of Venus who's really terrific, I just from the standpoint of acknowledging somebody's lifetime of work and discipline, I'm impressed. But of course they had an ability, a tremendous ability that played into that. Yeah, I have a huge appreciation for that. But, uh, yeah, I felt a little bit of a kinship because of what you said, you know, writing music by ear and, and our musical illiteracy, if you will. It uh, it makes me feel a little bit closer to knowing that it can be done that way. <laughs> Dean, I live in the Nashville, Tennessee area. This city is full of session players who don't sight read in that sense. Well, that's interesting. They have a, a, a number system that they do, but a lot of them can't. Sight read, but they they just have unique styles and abilities, so they get they get a lot of work. So if they prove they have the chops, they get the work, I guess. Huh? Exactly. There, there was a piano player uh, named Hargis Robbins. They called him Big Rob. Hot piano player for years and years. Country skills. He's blind, just like Gordon Moe. Hmm. You know, you can't get angry with those guys for not sight reading. You know, <laughs> well, when you're writing songs like you you have. Uh... And I assume you're doing both music and the lyrics, right? All the lyrics are you, or are you co-writing with people? Most of my songs, I write them words and music, most of them. I do a, a little bit of co-writing, not a lot. I've done just a few songs. So we have that in common. I was just curious if you... Uh, do you go through a process where you choose your lyrics very carefully based on the subject that you write about? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, because the and music I'm, seems I'm my, to come when it comes, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm my own worst critic, but... But I'll tell you this, Dean, one syllable can destroy a song. Yes, I've, I've seen that. Absolutely. But then you've got to go back and fix that. Yeah. <laughs> can ruin a song. And uh, th- that's why I don't do a lot of co-writing. Because I, I, don't, I don't ever want to get into an arm wrestling uh, thing, you know, over things like that. I, I just would rather do it myself. <laughs> it's funny, funny earlier you mentioned the song Wichita and Lineman. You know, I, I talked to Jimmy Webb a couple of years back, and he said something to me that sort of uh, resonated when it comes to that is that, you know, these false rhymes, if you're like really, if you're struggling to make that word sound exactly like the other word, you oh, might, you might be losing the message. So, you know, oh, that's, that's a huge mistake. And I've, I've met writers who were fanatics about perfect rhyme. And I'm thinking you just sentenced yourself to a world of limitation. Because, <laughs> uh, I, I believe in what I call approximate rhyme or a rhyme approximation. Just give me something that's in the ballpark. Because the idea is more important than perfect rhyme. Yeah, you'd rather not lose the message that you're trying to convey. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> to, just to sacrifice it so, you, so it makes it sound yeah. all exactly. <laughs> now, you mentioned Jimmy Webb. Now, to me, in my mind, he stands, uh, He is a giant. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed meeting him. He's great. He is a giant. Some of the greatest stuff in, in popular music the last yeah. years. Yeah, I agree. He's still doing it today, which is nice. <laughs> yep. You know, if you're if music is your passion, it never really leaves you until oh, never, until you never. leave it. <laughs> no, uh, Dean, there's a gospel songwriter who passed away just a couple of months ago. His name is Mosey Lister. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Okay. But, uh, wrote some great, great songs. And uh, the last few years of his life, he moved from Florida up here to Columbia, Tennessee, uh, Spring Hill. And uh, he was writing right up to the end of his life. He died at 94. And uh, he wrote some really good songs in his 80s. Really wow. good songs. Yeah, it can happen. <laughs> I've heard oh, yeah. I've heard of some people. I can't name them, but I've 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 read about them. You know, people who are in their mid nineties and they're still writing stuff. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, as long uh, as you got, as long as you have your marbles, uh, I think you got it. <laughs> exactly, and and you know, the older you get, the more seasoned and and 
hopefully wise you've become. So exactly. you really have a deeper well to draw from. The name Fanny Crosby, I, I mean, most people who are tuned in at all to Christian uh, hymns and songs would, would know the name Fanny Crosby. Her most productive years were her 60s. She wrote more and better stuff in her 60s than any, any other period of her life. Wow. Well, I'm glad. I appreciate that you're naming names. That way we can all look them up, <laughs> just in case we're not yeah. sure, familiar. Any uh, Jay Crosby. Yeah, because this is a good way of passing on to others. Uh, yeah. You know, some she great. wrote great songs. Songs like Blessed Assurance. You know, wow. Uh, great stuff. Very quickly, I'll, I'll touch on something. J.D. suggested I might ask you about the song Desert of My Days and how you wrote that. Uh, Larnell Harris, I know him. He wrote. He uh, recorded that at one time. Yes, he did. I don't know if you heard the song, but, but I did. I did. It. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's a There are several YouTube uh, videos of him doing it, but he he really has the, the cut on the song. A great singer. But the song is, is uh, I mentioned growing up, my my memorable boyhood uh, memories are the years in Arizona, and so I I was well acquainted with the desert, and uh-huh. uh, I understood mountains, hills, and deserts. And, and another song called Bigger Than Any Mountain I could have written without Arizona. But wow. knowing the desert and experiences in the desert and then understanding the biblical symbolism of the desert and, you know, the children of Israel wandering the wilderness for 40 right. years, Moses' personal journey, uh, his desert wilderness years. You put all that together with those images and understand that people are on a journey. The Christian experience is a journey. And most everybody has desert periods in their life, uh, times in their life when things the heavens are brass, you know, they're desperate for water and, and uh, sustenance and encouragement. Because it's not all milk and honey, it's not all joy and bubbly uh, it's true. experience. You know? But all of those things do come, you know, just like rain follows drought and, and so forth. But all of those things are, are involved in Desert of My Day. But I would tell people, hey, if you want to know about that song, go to YouTube. I'm Barnell Harris, Desert of My Days. And I think there's a version where the lyrics play along with the song. Oh, those are always good. Yeah. Yeah. In the desert of my days, there came no cooling rain. And the burning sun stopped me without mercy. And I cried out at the time I must be paying for some crime And in my loneliness It seemed nobody heard me And the days were weeks The weeks were months The months seemed years In the dust and sand A thirsty man battles fear Praying help would appear In the desert of my years There fell no rain, only tears As I struggled on with hope alone to cling to the rugged hills all look the same Across the endless dry terrain And to the silent skies I cry My God, where are you? And the days were weeks The weeks were months The months seen years 
Desert of my day. Were you going through a desert uh, at that time I've, when you wrote it, or uh, Dean? I've been through uh, several deserts in my life. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, of, of one degree or another, I sure have. Good. Literally, that means and, you're that means you're human, and you uh, you realize that. <laughs> that's right. Uh, literally and experientially, I've been to the desert. In fact, anything and, anything uh, in particular that uh, you'd be okay with sharing, or because I well, I always like to uh, show how you know you can come back from. A desert, you know, and, and back, oh, sure. back to water. Yeah. You know. Well, uh, Dean, I, I can tell you that everybody has a crisis experiences. And when I write a song, uh, I'm tapping into my own life, but I'm also emp- empathetically tapping into the experiences of people I know. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, we do that as well. And so it, it's sort of a, a, a mosaic of all those things. But I, I have, you know, I've been through financial disaster in my life. You know, right. uh, I've seen struggles with a family. I, you know, I've seen struggles with health and uh, sickness. Uh, I, you know, uh, we all experience those things. That's what life is. It happens. Yeah, it it does. There are, it di- does. There are divorces. There are deaths in the family. There are uh, oh, yeah. loss of job and financial, like you said. And absolutely, yeah. There are there are hard times that uh, only you feel the the greatest pain through that. <laughs> oh, sure, and I. Dean, I've got a song called Tears Are a Language, God Understand. And uh, that song has done a lot over the years, and it's had a long life. But it, how can God understand our tears? Well, because Jesus went through life like we go through life. You know, he wasn't protected from it. He wasn't sent into a palace. You know, uh, they say that Joseph the carpenter died during the 18 years of silence, you know, in the scriptural record. So Jesus understood what it was to, to lose a a loved one, a parent. You know, the first one is is, uh, is the worst, and uh, he went through that. He was grief stricken when John the Baptist uh, was executed in prison. He uh, wept over the multitudes, you know, that had such need, and he was betrayed. He was rejected. You know, he he lived life, man, like we live life. That's why he told the high priest, "You can be touched by the feeling of our own." Wow. So uh, 
as I wrap up this interview, Gordon, yep. and thank you yep. so much for, for taking the time. You know, I, I'd like to let everybody know that Gordon's really not promoting anything. You can just go to his site, gordonjensen.org, and go check out all the all the songs that he's written, and then you can actually buy from his site, I believe. But he's not promoting yep. all this. I'm we're, He's doing this strictly as uh, as a wonderful guy. <laughs> well, Dean, it's, it's a pleasure to visit with you, and, and I, I appreciate the opportunity very much. I'm honored uh, for this, and thank you for including me in your program. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I always like to give a parting shot. Is there anything, let's set this up in a way, like in your wheelhouse, uh, ex- having accepted Christ. Let's say uh, a young person who's uh, trying to establish himself as a music or as, or as a performer has been doing this a while and he's going through a rough period as we were just talking about the desert. And let's assume he accepted Christ also. Is there any advice that you would give this young man um, to help him as he's, you know, coming back into the light or coming back uh, searching for water? Because, you know, when you have a setback, sometimes that can cripple you a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's very difficult. Uh, I I would just say to a musician or writer, whatever, uh, if you have another way to make a living, go for it uh, and and do this on the side. (laughs) Because if if it ever gets strong and people start really relating to it, well, you can let your job go for a period of time. Yeah. And... And pursue it, but then you got a career to fall back. I, I you know, I, I hate to see people out there starving to death. But you, you write songs and you do ministry because it's a calling, and uh, you pursue it out of your love for Christ and your need to to say those. Things. You write songs because you need to say things, yeah. and uh, the whole world may not follow after the grab hold of it. So you have to do it anyway. But uh, I would encourage you not to do it with the idea of of a successful career or making money or anything like that. But, uh, do it because you need to do it. But if you have another uh, way to derive a livelihood, it takes a lot of pressure off of you. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. I always like to try to keep quiet as you're saying that and not interrupt. But what you said there about the, you know, get a job or... or I always feel, you know, in that case, you can always you can always walk away from that job. It's hard to walk away from your music, something that's been put into you. Uh, I believe uh, God does that. <laughs> right, and and, and you, you have to do that. I mean, it's your calling. You have to do that. Yeah, it ha- it'll haunt you. I know, I've tried that. Yeah. <laughs> I've, tried oh, to yeah. Put it, I've tried to put it away going, well, yeah, because I've had a period like that, too. I'm not saying yeah. that I am that young man that I was describing. I'm, I was just making a composite, as we were talking about. But uh, Yeah, but Dean, Dean uh, that thing knows where you live. Yes, you can't hide. <laughs> that calling knows right where to find you. Sure it is. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Gordon Jensen, it's been a real pleasure, and I hope that uh, in the future you might uh, consider coming back in for maybe a follow-up. Would you be open to that? Oh, sure. Oh, Absolutely. I'd, I'd love that. You've been a great guest, and uh, who know uh, you and J.D. would be some of the biggest stars on my show. You are wonderful. <laughs> well, J.D.'s a star. <laughs> He's, he is, and you've worked on three projects together, which is kind of cool, he, he told yeah. me. God bless the you. Blessings take, on you, man. Yeah, you too. Take care of yourself, and uh, I hope to talk to you again. Take care. Okay, bye-bye right. now. Bye for now. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the second part of my Gordon Jensen interview. If you missed part one, you can go to strongwriter.com, and you can listen to part one and any other past episodes. Just search for his name or any name, and you will get it. And I really do appreciate you listening to this show. Strong Writer on the Radio is an informational and inspirational weekly radio program, self-produced. That is by me, Dean Olson. And uh, much like writing a good song that you put a lot of love into it, I do the same for these shows. So please let me know what you think. 
Go on the Strong Rider on the Radio Facebook page. You can get it uh, by searching for Strong Rider on the Radio or going to strongrider.com. And I got to get going. Have a great weekend. I want to thank Gordon Jensen for his time and great conversation. www.gordonjensen.org. I must get going. So until next weekend, please put your best pen forward and let's all be strong writers together. This is Dean Olson saying so long. Until next time, go out there and make today count for something, okay? Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Strong Rider on the radio with your host, Dean Olson, on the amazing women and men of power. The world's leading positive programming network powered by Raven International.